0: Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics, and after
1: connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group Wags of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury.
0: We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle, and our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives.
1: So join us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Before we begin
1: this episode, we wanted to give a little disclaimer to all of our listeners. What you're about to listen to is an episode with frank discussions on mental, emotional, and spiritual health and well-being. We discuss our own perspectives on the subject matter and our own unique experiences that are unique to us. While we are highly educated... And we both have university degrees in psychology, sociology, communications, and media. We are not licensed psychologists, psychiatrists, or medical doctors. All the advice and feedback that we give, as well as sharing our stories, are ours alone and based on our experiences. Every single person on the planet is very different and every healing journey is unique. Please keep that in mind when we share our experiences. And... If you have questions about your own mental wellness, or if you want to ask an expert about anything that you're dealing with or struggling with, please consult a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, or someone in your area that you know and trust. We thank you and we hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Wags of SEI podcast with your hosts, Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. And today's topic is going to be around mental health for caregivers. This is the second episode of sharing our personal personal stories and connections around mental health and what that looked like at the very beginning for us with our partners who had sustained spinal cord injuries. Um, So until we get to that part, I will send it over to Brooke.
1: So big shout out today for our episode sponsors. Please give these um, businesses and women the time of day and visit them and, um, on their websites and tell them how much you appreciate their support because what they do for our community is outstanding. So our first sponsor is Robin Wishart of Wishart Brain and Spine Law. She is a lawyer and a human rights activist and she is our official advocate for the Wegs of SCI community. So she runs a law firm called Wishart Brain and Spine Law, and she works North America wide to connect women and partners with resources in their area. But also she can examine things like your benefits paperwork and any legal stuff you're dealing with. She is an expert on that because she comes from a place of understanding spinal cord injuries, which is very rare. So if you need any help at all, please visit BrainAndSpineLaw.com or you can go to our website, WAGsofSAI.com, and you can click on the Legal Resources tab to learn more about our partnership and what Robin does for our community. So our second amazing sponsor is a WAG-owned business. Uh, Annalisa and John Squires. They're from Florida. They run Rolling in Paradise, which is an adaptive equipment business that specializes in everything from sports mobility equipment like hand bikes to everything from accessories and mobility equipment like hoyer lifts and supplies. And they are pretty much the renowned experts in the industry now, and they ship all over North America. To their clients, but they understand what this life is like, and I'm sure all of you know that it's very hard to find a supplier that can relate to you and your needs. You know, they're always behind their desks typing away. They don't really understand the needs of disabilities. But Annalisa and John do because John is a quadriplegic, and they've been living this life for a long time. So please visit RollingInParadise.com and say hi for us. Tell them the Wigs of SCI sent you. So. Thank you all for joining us today. We are really excited for episode two of our series on mental wellness. We wanted to use a lot of examples from our stories because it doesn't get talked about enough. You know, I I know that it's a big trend right now to talk about mental health. And like we said in our last episode, this is a quote, mental health crisis in the world. And, you know, those are big buzzwords right now, but people aren't really getting to the meat of it. And we wanted to get to the real nitty gritty of what mental health and mental wellness and emotional health and wellness mean to us and what we've seen in the community, especially lately with mental wellness. So thank you for joining us. And yeah, hopefully if you if you guys have any questions, all of our listeners, like we love hearing from you. So please email us if you want to participate in this discussion, because we can read your comments live and anonymously. And it really helps us Um, when it comes to discussion. So please email us if you have any insights.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we have, we have harnessed quite a bit of information over the past few years of running Wags of SEI and the private discussion group from women sharing stories very similar, like the ones we are about to share today with you, of our personal experiences when our partner first partners first sustained their spinal cord injuries, and you kind of get left um, swept on to the side, left in the dust a little bit. A lot of the time, when you first visit rehab or ICU where your partner is, you're sort of looked as the maid, <laughs> the nurse the help of any kind that you're never really acknowledged as the wife or girlfriend. So just to sort of touch base on how this group began, the title wives and girlfriends of spinal cord injury basically came to be because Brooke and I came together and I was the girlfriend, you were the wife. And we wanted to sort of change that up a bit in the hospital system. So healthcare sort of knew that there were more, Partners out there than just the help, that there were actual wives and girlfriends that wanted to stick around, wanted to stay, wanted to learn everything they could possibly learn and the shortest amount of time in terms of transfers, how to do wound care, how to help shower your partner, um, the, the lift, how to put the sling on around your partner, all of these things were extremely crucial for us to know how to do. And a lot of us have that kind of personality that we said, you know what, we'll just take over. We'll, we'll do that. And of course, leading into the pandemic, these are skills that we were very, very grateful that we were able to have to be able to relieve the healthcare system from our partners going into the hospitals if they did not need to go. So once again, big shout out to all the wives and girlfriends following, listening. Um, You are doing amazing and you do deserve a round of applause because these are, you know, these are careers. These are jobs of labor, of love, really. And a lot of them are unrecognized, unpaid for the work they do, for the shifts they fill in, for home care that does not show up. So yes, a huge shout out to you. You are A very, very integral part of our society. You are one of the pillars of our society. So thank you for that.
1: And it can be really lonely, right? Because I remember when we were both going through the system, the rehab system. This is why we wanted to start wags because it was all mental and emotional health related. You know, we were crumbling alongside our partners, but we were ignored and we weren't necessarily allowed to talk about it because our partners were the ones that were going through the devastating injury. Um, but we were also going through something huge that was never really recognized. We had to place importance on it ourselves and we had to develop a narrative around that and say, Hey, wait a second, this isn't selfish. Um, to pay attention to our needs, because we're the ones like we always say this, we're the ones when everybody goes home, we're there in the middle of the night, we're there, um, you know, picking up the pieces. And not only did we have to deal with our partner's emotional and mental instability. And, you know, there was this, these huge shifts happening in our partner's lives, but we also had to deal with our own. And, you know, we always talk about that statistic out there that 80% of relationships break up after spinal cord injury because of the stress. And, you know, I remember meeting a few wags of SCI at the start that they couldn't stay with their partners. They had to leave because they were so overwhelmed. And I can't help but think what, you know, like what, what, would happen if right from the very start, they were important, they were paid attention to, they were hugged and loved, and they were part of the curriculum on his healing. And it wasn't weird for us to go to the appointments with them. And we weren't in the way all the time. And we didn't have to stand back and watch them do their work. We were part of it right and and to be able to go to a psychologist instead of having them go to a psychologist to deal with it you know and you know they get turned away if they're not suicidal right in the first place and we we realize this is due to lack of resources but at this point um that's not an excuse that's not an excuse anymore
0: I think, I think that's important that you, what you said there was, you know, when we would show up to, to these appointments with our partners, especially appointments outside of the hospital, we would show up because we would help with the transfers and putting the sling together and and under them and, and doing these things. And then it was like, oh, so you're, you're just here just to do that. And then now scoot and get out of the way, which is fair enough. There's a time limit. They're trying to do their jobs. Like let's say for example, if your partner has. Uh, a Botox appointment or something and and you need to go along to help them transfer on. And then you kind of like leave the room. It's like, why, why don't you just go get a coffee and um we'll see you in a bit. But I guess the biggest thing that's not recognized and that is like, that is also your time. Okay. So I'll go get a coffee and I'll just sit around and I'll just hang out for a bit. And then I guess I'll be back when you guys call me back so I can help transfer him back in his chair. But not to mention the first year is absolutely chaotic. First year of injury is very, very difficult because it is brand new. You don't know anything about anything. You don't know what a spinal cord injury really is. Like I remember the first few days Googling what is a spinal cord again? Like I knew what it was, but you don't know the in depth of each vertebrate and what they do right the function around them and you're trying to make sense of it your partner is trying to make sense of it and then on top of it you're overwhelmed with medications with appointments with new lifestyle and like you said friends and family come out they come out for a short time for lunches for dinners for the fun stuff and then they get back in their cars and they leave and then it's just you and your and your partner and then you are the one that's picking up the pieces in terms of Helping manage symptoms of AD or pressure wounds or pressure sores or dressing or bowel accidents or bladder accidents. I mean, I hate to bring it up again, but these are the realities of taking care of somebody who's just sustained a fairly, very traumatic injury that your body is like freaking out, doesn't know what you're doing, doesn't know how to be in its own body right now, right? So, again, big shout out to the women in this community that are doing all the work. And now is, you know, the most important time than ever for you to come forward and stand up and say, I should be recognized. So today's episode around mental health is strictly for these individuals, for the caregivers. We would like to share some of our personal stories to let you know that you are not going bananas, that it's okay to make some interesting choices and decisions around coping, coping mechanisms, and the things that we do that we think we need to do to cope, the societal sort of instant gratification kind of stuff that doesn't really necessarily work, but it's there for you. So it's easy, accessible. So you use it and you think you're going to feel better to manage your stress and it doesn't work. For example, it was very similar to the pandemic and why the liquor stores were deemed essential services. It's very similar around that. And these are very attainable, easily attainable, products that you can use, right? So not necessarily the best for you. And then you're left picking up the pieces of having drinking issues (laughs) years down the road. So we want to sort of share some of our personal stories in hopes that it is relatable to you and for all the new wags out there that, you know, it's okay. It's really okay. And we're here for you to try to help you to understand that it is all part of the process and you will come out on top.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really, really important to start off and, and mention that when you're going through a serious trauma or when you are chronically stressed for a long period of time, which I would argue that during the first four years of my husband's injury, I was chronically stressed and I was doing a lot of self-care practices at the same time. Um, so it's 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 such a physiological thing. And I think that because in our society, we're so obsessed with worshiping the mind and the intellect, and we think that we are our mind, and we think that we are our brains, right? We forget about the body and how important it is and how there's been millions of years of evolution that have led us to a certain physiological response when we are under stress, especially chronic stress. So there are many things that happen in the body during this time. And so I think that that was a huge piece for me is really, really starting to understand, okay, this isn't, there's nothing wrong with you, right? This is a primal physiological response to an extreme amount of stress that you are under on a daily basis, trying to literally keep somebody alive while keeping yourself alive. And so I think that everybody listening who, has started to see some health problems or is starting to journey down the path of looking after themselves more Um, need to understand that we are primal animalistic mammals that at the end of the day, um, our bodies are a reflection of what is going on around us and our perception of what's happening around us. And these primal responses to stress are, it's something that you can't think away or meditate away, or pray away, they are things that are happening, whether you like it or not. And so when you understand that, you can view your body as a separate mechanism of it's trying to protect you. So every sort of response that's happening, whether it's an increased heart rate, whether it's trouble breathing, whether it's hormonal issues, all of that stuff is happening from a primal response of you're being chased by a tiger and we need to run away from the situation and, oh crap, you're not running away from the situation. Oh God, we're going to push harder because your body here, you you've been trained for your genetics are this way. And so it is very, very hard to tame the beast. And it's literally a process that takes years. So I think right off the bat, everybody needs to realize that if you feel stressed on a daily basis your body doesn't know what you're going through. It just knows you're being chased by a tiger and it's gonna keep pumping those hormones, keep pumping the adrenaline and the cortisol. It's gonna keep having all of these physiological responses whether you like it or not until you can actually consciously tame the tiger until you actually say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna start down this path of taking somewhat control over my physiological responses and I'm going to baby it and be there with it as it adjusts to a new way of being. And it's going to take a lot of time and it's not going to be an overnight fix. And so like I, we were talking before the podcast of like advice that we would give new wags to this injury. And I think familiarizing yourself with the physiological symptoms of stress and what your body is doing and how it doesn't know that you're a quad wife taking care of a C4 quad, waking up in the night and worried. It doesn't know. It just knows that, Oh, yeah. we shouldn't be here right now. We need to protect ourselves. So, you know, back to what you were saying, give yeah. yourself a little bit of a break and realize that this is, we are humans. We are animals. <laughs> and uh, get out of your head for a little bit and realize that. And and that in itself is a training program to get out of your head and get into your body, which um, we can talk about a little bit later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a journey. It's a never ending journey, right, Brooke? <laughs> Yes, it'll never it'll end. Never end. It'll never end. <laughs> but, but it's good once you. I think one of the biggest things to recognize too, like that's really helped me along, um, my path, is realizing like to be kind and patient with yourself. That not everything has to happen all at once, and when you re- recognize a pattern or something that you want to work on, that it doesn't need to happen overnight. And you kind of have to, you know, pack your toolkit of things that work for you that you really enjoy working on. So for example, um, when you find like breathing exercises or being able to do a quick yoga session or finding ways to sort of like walk yourself off the cliff, maybe go for a walk or find something that you like to do. Like I do pottery. If something helps me with my, with my mind, eases my mind, whatever you can do for yourself, you have to pack a toolkit that like, as if you're going on a long adventure and that is literally, that's life, right? (laughs) That's the way life is, especially through stressors, especially through, um, helping somebody with higher needs with a spinal cord injury is you have to find things that are just yours, all yours and not into caring, not into your husband or your partner, Not necessarily shared things that you can say, okay, that's just all mine. Like maybe for one hour a day, I go for a walk and that's just all mine. Or maybe for, I don't know, 20 minutes, I sit down and have a cup of tea before I have to do routines and all that. And that's just all mine. And that kind of helps like ground. I wish somebody gave me this advice when we were going through this. I feel like, no, I'm not an expert. So I do want to say that, but I want to say that we have a lot of lived experience, which sometimes you can't learn from a textbook. Right. And I wish these are things that somebody told me, like the ways that I was coping were my girlfriends would come out and want to go for uh, bottomless mimosa lunches and fun dinners and whatnot. And just like party, party, party go away for the weekend and then come home with like a terrible hangover. And at that time I thought that that was what I needed was, Oh yeah, I just need a break. I just need to get away. I'm just going to go to LA. Maybe I'll just go to Whistler. Maybe I'll just go here or there for a bit. And on the one hand, it was extremely beneficial for my partner, not for me not to be there because he learned how to do a lot of things on his own. He learned what he was capable of doing as a C5, C6 quadriplegic, and what he actually truly needed help with. What could he reach? What what would he need to change in our house that was way up here to maybe reorganize the drawers and whatnot to put things way down here that are actually attainable for him? So we learned a lot that way. But then on the other hand, and this is, I would say, six years ago, five, six years ago, I would come home. I'd be very grateful to be home, but I would be hung over a shit. And then I would show up and be like, oh my God, was that really actually like a great coping mechanism for me that I even do any, any kind of anything like, yeah, sure. It was fun to like get away and like go have some time with my girlfriends. But I think your friends or my friends at the time thought that that was the way they could support me was just to like, make me forget about my life for a weekend or for a night or whatever. And I would, (laughs) but then I would remember it all when I got home. Right. And everything I always say, anything that you do, you have to undo. And I and I hear a lot of this on our private Wegs of SCI group from other women who say, you know, can we talk about addiction? Can we talk about um popping pills or doing drugs or drinking too much as coping mechanisms. So this is a situation that is actually quite real in our community. Women that don't have an outlet, that don't have enough support, that don't have mental health support, that they're just they're just reaching for whatever it is that they're able to grasp. And the purpose of this group specifically is that is something that we want to change. We have our 5KM self-care run coming up on March 19th. and It is for caregivers. It is to raise funds so we can give back to our community for proper mental health supports, not for just a girls' night out to show up back, back home, hungover, because that is a temporary fix. That is only maybe an hour or two of relief, of whatever relief that your brain and your body are really looking for. But it doesn't actually help. So um, I know this is a story that I've shared before, but its I can very contently say that I'm out of that now. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with that. Um, being forced to stay at home, I reached for other outlets and other coping mechanisms. But I know that you too also, Brooke, have some really, really fun stories to share with us about what were some ways that you were coping when Evan was in in rehab or ICU? And what what was it that you found worked for you or now you realize did not work for you? Well, I
1: think um, before I get into that, I think it's really from, you know, I was just thinking about this as you were talking about friends and family and um, how they're trying to help you by bringing you out of your funk and, you know, getting you into out there and distracting you and all that stuff. Um, but I also know that people act out of their own um, beliefs and their own ideas and their own perspective on the world. And I found personally, a lot of the times that, um, I was brought away or brought out to be distracted, or it it was because they wanted to feel better because they felt powerless and they were like, okay, I don't know what to do with this girl. She's my friend. Um, and I don't really know how to help her. So let's go do something to distract her. Let's go do something to help her this way, or let's go get drunk. And then we can just forget about everything. And I think it's a small kind of micro example of our world today, because our world today, you know, we were talking about earlier about the worshiping of the mind. We also worship instant gratification and we don't like to sit in things that make us feel bad. And you know that that happens when you first experience these injuries. You already feel so bad that you don't want to feel even worse by sitting around and feeling this pain that you feel, and not just that, feeling the pain of your partner's pain, and having to sit with all of those terrifying emotions that come up. And so, yeah, I I, I just. I think about all the situations like with my friends at the time and what they did to help and bless their hearts. You know, they, people try, they really try and help. um, But I mean, all humans are the same. They don't want to sit and be in grief, (laughs) especially with their friends where, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. If some traumatic accident happened to your friend, you would be like, you know, let's just say you didn't have the experience of being a wag, but like you would want, you wouldn't know what to really do unless you were like really trained, which is another thing that gives us wags a real leg up in the world is we're trained now to kind of deal with, you know, I don't want to say catastrophes, but it is a catastrophe. It is something that is like very scary and traumatizing. And we're kind of trained now to navigate that for not just for ourselves, but for other people, even if we're not mentally stable ourselves, we're still somewhat trained to handle catastrophes. Um, But like when, when I was, When Evan was in hospital and rehab, I had a friend that would come and she would pick me up. (laughs) She would pick me up at the front entrance of the rehab center in her car with like some Spice Girls music playing. And she knew that I couldn't be away for a long time because at the time there were, well, I think it's probably the same now, but they were so understaffed and there was really nobody to help my partner unless I was there for certain periods of time when they were busy with other higher level injuries or people that needed their time more anyway. So she would come and she would pick me up with the music and blasting and she'd be like, get in. And she would have like a pack of, um, like lady fair menthol cigarettes and we would light them and (laughs) drive up and down this like busy road in Vancouver, and just cruise with the windows open and smoke our cigarettes. And a lot of the time we wouldn't say anything to each other. We would just drive and I would smoke. And then she would drop me off and be like, all right, I'll see you in a couple of days. And like at the time it was like, it was such a relief to like get away and just do something I knew was extremely bad for me because everybody knows that that knows me is just like, I, I have issues with my lungs. I don't know why I was smoking. I'm <laughs> but it's like one of those things that you do to manage yourself because you're not really thinking. So that's another thing. You know, you know we're, ta- we're we want to get into like the bad coping mechanisms, the things that we do um when we're in fight or flight. But that's another thing about our physiology is like when we're in that state, when we're not naturally in homeostasis, and we're not naturally calm, we will reach for things that we normally would never reach for. We're not thinking we're thinking from our primal brain, we're thinking from the part of our brain, that is an animal that will say, yeah, pass me the drink, let me drink a whole bottle or pass me this, you don't think when you're in that state. So that's another kind of little perspective shift that really helped me is like when I learned, I'm not really truly thinking about long term anything. I am just knee jerk reaction, instant gratification, trying to make myself feel better in the moment that, you know, like you say, we have to pay for at some other point, (laughs) right? But these things that are, quote, bad for us, a lot of the time they're catalysts for change, right? They bring you to a, a place where, you know, you're like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. And you wouldn't have necessarily been brought to that place unless you had that bad thing. That was the catalyst. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also I, you know, we talk about this all the time and it's just like deconstructing what is easily attainable that, that brings you that instant gratification, that instant relief, the smoking of the cigarettes, the, the, I mean, the the actual nervous system calmer, (laughs) you know, when you're not really sure how you're like, ah, you're freaking out. Your brain's like, ah, freaking out. Um, and (laughs) you grab things that, (laughs) that aren't the best, but in the, in the moment they are the best because you're, you're able to regulate yourself the best way that you can, the quickest way that you can. But anyways, so my question, so today We will continue on with our cool to connect sage pack. And today's question is what are three lessons you had to learn the hard way? I feel like this really connects to what we're talking about. What are your three lessons that you've had to learn the hard way as being a wag of SCI, a caregiver and Brooke Page for yourself?
1: Um, well, I, I would say number one is that like, go, go, go. I can do everything mentality that will burn you out. Um, definitely had to learn that the hard way. Um, whereas like you put yourself in these situations where you don't have anyone to help you. You want to do everything yourself because you think you can do it best. You don't outsource anything. I remember for the first three or four years of my partner's accident, I didn't outsource anything. And now I'm like the queen of outsourcing. Like I'll, I will I do delivery for everything. I don't, I don't care about my carbon footprint. I don't. I literally say, you know, and I'm someone that really cares about the environment, but I'm like, I'm one person, I need this. So I do Amazon for a lot of stuff. I do grocery delivery for a lot of stuff. I do, you know, we have people that help us with certain things that are imperative and I've cut out a lot of stuff to reduce my load. So definitely that's number one for me. Um, number two learning the hard way, (sighs) I would say just like, like an expansion on number one, like letting things get out of control as far as just not taking accountability for my physical health as much as I should, just thinking that I can put it off and not understanding how much your physical health has to do with your mental health. And not really putting those two and two together, really, because, you know, you know, all this stuff, we've been taught all this stuff, you know, how much your mind has to do with your body, right? It's been proven scientifically, it's not a, you know, it's not something that's woo woo anymore. And we knew we know all this. I've known this since I was freaking a kid. But like, when you're in that situation, you ignore it. And you think that it's going to just fix itself, but it doesn't. So like, Learning the hard way that way and getting to a point where I'm just like, oh my God, I am swollen. I'm feeling the effects of stress in my heart rate and in my sleep patterns. And my body's telling me something. And I'm just thinking, oh, it'll go away. It'll get better. Instead of taking a real, real proactive approach to managing the physical side effects of too much stress. And, you know, you know, we always get into this, but I think it's really important to hammer down for this episode that your mind and your body work together. They're not separate. Your body is a manifestation of your mental and emotional health and your state of well being and your choices. And you can't just kind of sit back and wait for the ball to drop. You have to like do it yourself and figure out okay, what's going to work for me so that I can manage my body and in turn manage my mind. And so, yeah, definitely the hard way. I got to a state of overwhelm and this was, you know, I started doing some deep, some really deep shadow work at the start of the pandemic because I was like, oh, this is a great time to like do some heavy like stuff that I've been avoiding since childhood work, fine tuning some stuff that I really wanted to work on. And I remember how much it expressed in my body. And I was just like, oh my god it was just this realization of like, I am overwhelmed. I am burnt out. And this is what it feels like. Oh my God, it feels terrible. And then kind of working from the ground up. So I I don't know whether it's like, I think humans have to learn the hard way. (laughs) I don't think change comes unless you're learning from some mistake or some Error judgment or some poor choice or some ignoring behavior or some medicating behavior. I I don't think real change comes unless you're like at the end of your rope. I don't know. I don't know. What are some things that, that uh, you believe you've had to learn the hard way?
0: So the first thing that I would say um, would be that we've had a, uh, you know, kind of in connection to what I was saying before um, is the first thing that I would say for me would be an association with this episode, which is <clears throat> drugs and alcohol and partying. So the first thing that I would say would be the the lesson that I had to learn the hard ways of no amount of booze will ever fix anything. No amount of partying will actually ever fix the way you feel. No amount of SSRIs are going to fix anything that you feel. Um, Not to mention, I mean, not to say that these things are not necessary in the, in the, part of your life for a certain period of time, because that's what I did. I did that as well. And I think I needed to do these things to be able to see what I didn't want to see that when I return back home, that the problems are still there. And that's something that I feel like I've lived by the term of, you can't run away from your problems. They will always still be there waiting for you, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. Um, So then the second thing I would say in connection to that would be boundaries um having healthy boundaries with yourself and leading those boundaries into your relationships and into your friendships and all across with everything <laughs> having boundaries when you recognize that you need to have boundaries respecting yourself and saying do i really need to be doing this do i really need to go there do i really need to participate and unhealthy activities that are going to hurt me in the long run, you're able to speak your truth more clearly to friends and family as well. And I know for myself, I've had a lot of seasons with friendships, lots and lots of seasons, and some have come faster than others, and some have been more progressive. But I feel like sometimes people come into your lives to teach you something, or hopefully you do learn something, um, and you hopefully learn something about yourself, right? And that is will evolve into a healthy relationship with your partner. And that is something that I'm still working on. So then the third thing that I would say that I've had to learn the hard way is not settling. Do not settle, especially when it comes to SCI and especially when it comes to being invited out places with your friends and family. And they invite you places that are not accessible or their home is not accessible. And you don't want to ruffle feathers. You don't want to hurt anybody because... A lot of the time I feel like, first of all, it's not my place to say anything. It's my partner's place to say something because this is his, you know, disability. This is his accessibility. But a lot of the time I find myself feeling extremely overwhelmed. And by the time that I do say something, it's probably not the nicest way to say it. Because I feel that this world is not accessible And that life is already hard enough for our partners in in their wheelchairs that it should be a no brainer. But even in 2023, our world world is not set up for everybody. It's, It's not accessible for everybody. And I feel that we have settled so much in seven years that we do still show up to restaurants where he does need to be carried up a step or two or the table is too far away or family or friends inviting us to their home, but he can only sit in the backyard. So we can only really go there in the summertime, but he can't get inside the house, use the restroom. So things like this. And, and I think it's natural and normal for us to at first say, oh, that's okay, we'll just make it work. Or you know, just showing up places that you know somebody is gonna need to help you. You're gonna have to do a lot of extra work just to make it work. For us, it's not worth it it's not worth it anymore. And I feel that people that love and care about you will understand that and they will make adjustments and they maybe won't invite you to those places, or maybe they'll have a think about that. Um, but I think a lot of it can come out of, you know, saying things with love to create awareness to say, you know what, that actually doesn't work for me. And if anything, we're doing a favor for other people as well that are in our shoes, but by swallowing that pill and saying, that's okay, we'll just show up and we'll just, it'll just take us extra, extra long to do everything. And maybe he won't be able to use the bathroom. He won't be able to have a shower for a weekend. That kind of stuff I'm learning. You have to set boundaries and you have to speak your truth for both of you. So that is, those are some of my pieces of advice that I would give to anybody is have boundaries and don't settle, don't settle, don't settle for your appeals. When the government says, no, your spouse can't get paid. Don't settle. Or if you need, you know, compensation for, medical equipment or if you need you need anything don't settle and it's that's a hard lesson right Brooke that's something that you're very good at doing is writing appeals and it feels like it's so draining it feels like it takes so much time and energy because it does and it takes you know it has something inside of you has to like bubble over before you're like ah I gotta get this done I can't take it
1: anymore I think that that just to like talk about that for a second. Like, I think that you're, you know, you're talking about boundaries, um, with other people. There's also boundaries with yourself too. Like, you know, what I was speaking about earlier about overwhelm and how like that I had no boundaries with myself. I would freaking do anything and everything all in a week's time. I would make sure that I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I need to add this to his appeal or I need to do this. And it's like, that is not sustainable. That just creates more overwhelm. (laughs) So boundaries with yourself as well are so important. And you know what I found works so well is when you have boundaries with yourself, then they're compassionate boundaries. Like they are, I, you know, I really care about myself and I want my, I want to be the best version of myself. I want to help myself. You have to be compassionate as you're learning because boundary breaking is a habit. It's a conditioned habit, especially as women, especially as caregivers, I mean, these are things that are also, they're very ancestral. They're carried down. Um, You know, especially our grandparents and our parents' generations. Like, you know, a lot of the women were caregivers and homemakers and um, they didn't have really to work and they didn't have to do anything else. And um, now you're piling all of this on yourself and, you know, you can't do everything. You can't. It's not possible. You will burn out. And you know, a lot of mainstream psychologists, they say the same thing. And this isn't, again, this isn't woo woo. This is like, you will burn out. You will. It's just a matter of time. So instead of having to learn the hard way, like us, listen. (laughs) And again, I know there's so much value in learning the hard way, but there are certain things that you can do for yourself now, And, you know, we're speaking to women who are still in the first little while of their partner's injury and that haven't really hammered down their own routine and their own boundaries yet. And they're just, they're hurting. Um, There are lots of things that you can do for yourself to really, really make it so that you have more space for writing that appeal. So that when you sit down and you do something like that, you know, you're not just adding more and more stress to your plate. And so like, what would you say, worked for you as far as like some early on immediate solutions to breaking the stress cycle in your life? Like, what are some basic things that really helped you?
0: Um, well, firstly, I think I would say that I don't believe that I live a life without stress. I don't think that that there's such a thing. I don't think that there is like a complete, like, stress free life for me. Um, at this point in my life i think it's just managing being able to manage your stress and being able to rec- recognize hey i'm stressed instead of being like oh my god what's happening to me right now Ah, you're like okay just call it what it is i'm stressed um first of all well that is first of all just recognizing that but secondly it took it took me a long time especially somebody who was on antidepressants and anti anxiety It was like I was taking something for over a decade to cover up the feelings that I was feeling of stress and anxiety because it was so awful that I wouldn't be able to get out of bed had I not. Or that's what I believed, right? I believed that if I did not take these pills for over a decade, that I would be stuck in bed um, and I would have no life. I would just be a zombie. It was too stressful. PTSD was too much. But then what what I've learned after getting off of SSRIs And it's been what, I think four months, three months is that to be patient with yourself, just to, if you're able to, like, let's say on a weekend, if you're not working and you're able to sort of wake up and wake up naturally, sometimes if you're, if you have the ability to kind of sleep in, do that. If you have the ability to be a little bit slower that day, do that. If you need to get your partner ready and you need to get up and you have to do the shower, bell care, dressing, all that stuff. You have pets to take care of, you have kids to take care of. Do the things you need to do, but also remember to slow down, like be really like sloth slow. That has helped me a lot because especially somebody who's a natural, I wouldn't say worrier or believe that I was like, I need to get everything done all at once. I need to go, 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 go. And then sitting back being like, Oh, I'm so stressed. I just need to have a glass of wine. Oh my God. It's the only way I can get rid of the stress is having a glass of wine. Um, I've learned that that's not true. And you're able to manage more or like break the cycles of stress a little bit or break through into seeing the cycle of stress. That's the biggest thing It's like, you just need that little door to be like, okay, this is what's happening. It's just to slow down as much as you can. Just give yourself grace, give yourself some patience Um, do that one thing for yourself, go for a walk, go for a super slow walk, super slow, just look at everything. Oh, there's the trees, they're green, call everything what it is, recognize them. connect your body to the experiences that you're having with nature or outdoors or smells or colors or sounds or whatever. But it's just as important for you to take time for yourself as it is to help everybody else. And especially being in this role, I started to ask myself, I'm there for a lot of people in my life, but who's there for me? Who's taking care of you? Because if you start to ask yourself who's taking care of you and you start to realize no one, maybe your partner is there for you emotionally, but who's physically able to take care of you? Let's say you get sick. Who's bringing you soup? Who's doing all these things for you? And then if you start to see that that circle is very, very tiny, and probably it's you because you have that personality that you take care of everybody else. Then take care of yourself first, have a couple days or a day a week that you're like, no, no, today I'm going to be super slow. I'm, if I want to, I'm going to sit and have my cup of tea a little bit longer. I'm not going to just like chug back the espresso and run to the gym or just go ham at the gym and get my blood pressure through the roof and just go crazy because that also doesn't help. You're, you're kind of feeding back into that like nervous system irregulation where you're just like spinning out of control. So that's my biggest piece of advice. Just be slow, do some Tai Chi at the park, I, listen to some nice I think calm that's music. The, I
1: honestly think that is the best advice because for myself, I wanted to put myself on a program, like my own program with my own tools that worked for me so that I could feel my life force come back. And, you know, this isn't a religious thing. I'm not a religious person. I am a spiritual person. Um, But I do believe that we all have life force or chi in our bodies, and it's innate to us. And we all have it. And I think that we covered up because of various things that we do to ourselves, various medications we're on, various health choices and food choices and stress. And just like we were speaking about earlier, how our society is programmed to just keep running like the Energizer Bunny you know, even the feminist movement, you can do it all, right? It's so misguided to me. It is so not reality to me. And the reason I know this is because I am a more type A personality. And when I'm stressed, it comes out even more where I'm just like, go, go, go. But understanding that that is in itself a trauma response, and that trauma response of flight, whereas like, you just have to keep going and doing is something that is literally programmed into mainstream society is that's what you should be doing when it's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. So to elaborate on your, you know, your slowness thing, the thing that worked for me when I started from the ground up, when I said, okay, I'm going to take away as fearful as I am, I'm going to peel away the layers of my psyche, of my body, and I'm going to start from the ground up and I'm going to see what's there. And I'm going to work with myself. What I found was there is a stream of energy that you can take advantage of that will never make you feel tired. It's there. It's life force. And in order to find that, you have to peel things away, take things away from what you're doing. You have to, you know, release the burden on your shoulders. You know. Um, And taking things away doesn't need to be a painful experience. I mean, we're trained to add things on and, you know, that addictions come from that and bad things come from that. But if what people don't realize is you have to take things away, you have to remove the stresses, you have to remove the foods, you have to remove the behaviors, you have to listen to what these behaviors mean. And you have to pay attention to the thoughts and then literally choose your thoughts to the point where you can get so deep that you realize that, wow, we really need to slow down. And, you know, I know that the mainstream advocates for this are coming forward more like the holistic psychologist, Dr. Joe, like we were talking about in the last episode. Um, But people think that they just have to add things on to make themselves feel better. And that is fundamentally not true. And so, I would say that's the best advice is is change your perspective, step back a little bit and say, okay, I feel stressed all the time. My body is not liking my life. There's something wrong and I need to change. Okay. How can I step back and take things away, like certain responsibilities from someone who is a full-time caregiver to my partner, an option for me was not to take away his care and my responsibilities towards his care. It was more taking away the other things that weren't serving me that I didn't have to do myself, peeling those away. And then when you get done with the external things that you're like making a list and though this doesn't work for me, this doesn't work for me, I can get someone else to do this. I don't need to do this. I need to switch my job. I need to do this because anything's possible. Once you take care of the things outside yourself, then you can focus on, okay, what can I get rid of that's in my body that's stored here that I've created for myself? what can I do for that? And then that's a whole new project that, like we said last episode, that's a lifetime's work, right? Is removing the blockages. You know, they talk about in yoga, they're called samskaras. They're blockages that have been formed throughout your whole life that fill up your cup, right? Which is your energy resource up to here, up to the brim. And the stress response is because of that. And it's true. It is hundred percent true. I can tell you that because I've experienced it myself. I have seen literally magic happen when you start to pay attention to those little scars in your body and you allow them to move through you and you realize that there's no big bad wolf on the other side. There's actually a life force there. Um, So without getting too much into that, um, I think that just pay attention to your reactions and your thoughts and pay attention to how you respond to people and what you're doing that is overloading you and overworking you because it's a story. It is a story that you created (laughs) and you created it. You can undo it, but you just have to empower yourself and realize, okay, I did this. I can undo it and working with yourself and just being like, I'm the teacher. I'm the wise parent. You know, I may have trauma in my life. Everybody does, that's not going to be the cause of me continuing to sabotage my life when I'm, I am in control, but the control is like releasing. You know what I mean? You're in control of releasing.
0: I do. I do okay. know what you mean. Right? <laughs> and then like, like you said, there is no big bad wolf because it's always in our mind of what it's going to play out. Like, Oh, Oh, that situation's so bad. Oh, it's so dangerous. It's so scary. And then you do face it. And then it's like, Oh my God, like my mom just died in, well, both my dogs and my mom died. And for me, that was like the scariest thing for the last like 20 something years. I'm like, Oh my God, my mom, might die. Like my only parent, my only parent who adopted me. So like my, my parent for the second time in my life, I was like, Oh my God, no, 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 nothing can happen to her. And then she did die. And then now I'm processing it. And I'm like, yeah, it might take a bit of grieving, but better to grieve it now than be like high or wasted somewhere. You know, trying to run away mm-hmm. from this. Why would I want that? Like, what? Like, truly, <laughs> I did try it for a couple of days, <laughs> drinking vodka at ten a.m. sounded like a good idea, but it yeah. was not. <laughs> the brook would pick me up for our cold swims, cold dips, and be like, "Oh, Elena, how are you doing this morning at ten a.m.?" I'm like stumbling down <laughs> down the sand into the water. No, but and I did. I mean, maybe everybody needs to do that. Try it, see if it works for you. And then you'll realize right away, this is not what I want. This isn't working mm-hmm. for me. And it's actually doing more damage. So to end our episode, we hope we've given you guys a fair share of very honest stories. Um, we want to be open and honest with our community because this is a community that we are very grateful to be in a position to lead. And with that comes a lot of vulnerability from um, other women, especially in our private group, who've been able to share these stories of... Addiction, what is addiction? Why are we participating in it? And why are we doing this to ourselves? So we wanted to come forward and say, we see you, we hear you, you're not alone. Times can be really stressful, but you can be in charge if you have the tools and the skills. And with that, we will attach some other resources that we have found useful to help us along with our journeys of healing and self actualization and realization and being able to sort of take back Mm -hmm. your life, take it back for yourself, take it back for mostly yourself, not for other people, not for your partner, do it for yourself. And set set those boundaries. And like Brooke said, set those boundaries first and foremost with yourself, because once you have self-love and self-respect, nothing else that comes into your bubble will be able to bounce around in there. You'll, you'll see it for exactly what it is and say, no, I don't think so. I don't think I would have participate in that this time around.
1: Yeah. And I think so. what you're saying here, you know, about self-love and once you realize these things, I think that everyone needs to understand that that is not, you know, we, again, going back to the instant gratification thing, self-love is cultivated over a long period of time. You will hate yourself at first. When you start doing this work, you will hate yourself. You will be, <laughs> it, so yeah, fun? Like you will be <laughs> so discouraged. You will be more stressed. Yeah, you will feel things in your body that you've never felt before. You will want to quit. But then you realize once you look, you can't unsee, right? Once you see something, you can't unsee it. And you'll have Mm -hmm. to stick with it. But to be honest, like you really have no choice at this point. I remember I had no choice. I had to do go deeper. Than I thought that I would have to. Elena had no choice. You know, at a time when she was, you were so stressed that you, there was so much coming down, then you decided to get off your pills,
0: right? Like these. (laughs) Yeah, this is true, actually. So after all the chaos, I was like, that's it. Everything has to go. Let it burn. Let everything burn. Finding
1: that self-love and finding that courage is a years-long process, months-long process before you see any glimmer of it. When you've spent your life people-pleasing, yeah. when you've spent your life catering to other people's needs, when you're in a situation or a relationship where you're a caregiver and you have to focus on other people's needs, you are training yourself. You've trained yourself. doesn't mean you have to change your life that way. Those are your responsibilities. You can't run away from that, you know, mm-hmm. if that works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are not overnight things. This is like, you're going to get worse before you get better. You're like I said before, you're going to hate yourself. You're going to loathe yourself. You're going to loathe your parents. You're going to try and blame other people, but keep going back to that center within yourself and taking that, you know, radical accountability. Like we talked about last episode Um, before we end here. Yeah, 100%. before we end here, I have a book recommendation. Both Elaine and I have this book. It's called. We talked about it last episode, but I wanted to give more details. It's called The Body Heat Score: Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma, and it's by Bessel van der Kolk, and he's a, a medical doctor. And this book, it's yeah. Right here. So this book is I don't know, but it's like eight to know. ten years old, and it was basically the groundbreaking book that a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, are basing their research off of and you know obviously when it first came out people were like wow this guy's nuts but it's a new york times bestseller and um yeah. he talks about what happens to the body based on his own clinical research and some specialists that he works with uh, what happens to the body when you're healing. And so I think that if anybody is interested on, you know, what's happening to me, why am I going through this? You need a decent amount of knowledge before you, you start working on yourself because then you'll be bombarded and you'll be scared and freaked out and you'll think you're going nuts. Um, so if you, if you arm yourself with some knowledge of tools, the people that work in this community, how to befriend yourself, how to befriend your body, um, definitely pick that book up because it is amazing. And it's, just more important now today than I think it was when it first came out. Um, The second uh, book that I have for recommendation for people um, that want to get into meditation and body awareness and don't really know where to start. um, There's, this is very mainstream. It's from Deepak Chopra and it's called total meditations practices in living the awakened life. And this book is, um, it's a basically a year-long program of different mind-body exercises, very easily laid out, easy to understand, that you can do at home any day of the week. Um, and it'll kind of put you on the right track if you're completely clueless and just need a helping hand. And to be honest, I think that is so important. Everybody needs a helping hand. Everybody needs some One to rely on when they are doing inner work because you will get very confused and you will get lost, and you don't have the container within yourself and the love within yourself. That's what you're working towards, but you don't have it yet when you start doing this work, especially when you're coming down from extreme stress. You don't have it. So you need to rely on people that understand what's going on. So, yes, Total Meditation, great book, teaches you how to properly breathe, teaches you very basic exercises of yoga, very basic. It explains the physiology of what happens to your body when you're under stress. It explains all of that and it's easy to read. Um, so definitely go check that one out if you're looking to kind of get more in tune with your body and what it's trying to tell you. So do you, yeah. Do you have any book recommendations?
0: Okay. Yes, I do. Just, just real quick. I really, really like, um, Debbie Ford. So she does a lot of shadow work, a lot of books around shadow work. The Secret of the Shadow. Um, I'm just drawing it. Yes, so I have two of them. I forget what the other one is called, but The Secret of the Shadow. And for anybody who does not know shadow work, um, this is a really awesome place to also kind of start um, to recognize your own shadow. The shadow is basically parts of your personality that you may feel, ooh, why do I do that? Or, ooh, why am I that way? Or why do I behave that way in situations? Or why am I extra bitchy? Or whatever it is, the different parts of your personality that you're like, cringe. Um, And she basically goes through to tell you why these are very important parts of your personality, because it actually helps you out once you once you acknowledge them and you accept your shadow pieces and parts. For example, if you're asking yourself, why am I so bitchy? It's like, well, maybe when it comes to appeals and fighting for human rights, you kind of have to be firm or quote unquote bitchy um to get the things that you need to to also serve society as a whole every single person in this world serves society as a whole um so I really really like basically diving into shadow work I feel like that was that was a huge part of like my journey of like acceptance and like Learning to sort of accept myself, but also learning to respect myself and learning to respect those pieces. And I think this is going to be a huge one, especially for women in our community who are those, you know, those fighters, those those freedom fighters that want equality for all and want um, equality for their partners and accessibility and being able to see why am I put in this position and to be able to acknowledge and, and sort of love that part of you. So anything to do with shadow work, I love. It's not magic it's all part of you it's all part of who you are and I think we can all benefit from getting to know ourselves a little bit deeper so once again, thank you for joining us today on another episode of the Wags of SCI podcast. Um, it's been fun. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write in to Wags of SCI at gmail.com or head on over to www.wagsofsci.com. And once again, please, please come and join us on the Wags of SCI self-care run It's a virtual run slash walk. You can do it from your own neighborhoods, with your friends, create teams, create awareness, uh, fundraise for this grassroots group that Brooke and I began in 2017. Please help us raise some much-needed awareness and funds for the women in this group for things like this. We want to give away books like this so we have a fund that we can give back to our community for self-care, for date nights, for all the important things that this community of women truly, truly can benefit from. So that'll be March 19th. Please register on
1: our website, wagsofsi.com. And a final plea to anyone out there listening to this series who's enjoying it and may have something to share or want to share an embarrassing story of how they were coping uh, we would love to read it to our followers <laughs> so please email us um, you are important parts of our structure of our
0: feel human right we want to we all want to feel human so until next time be safe out there love each other and tune in for the next episode of my uh, bestie podcast in the next Cheers. week